Welcome, Luminous Writers, to the Write, Publish, and Shine podcast. I am your host, author, and literary magazine editor, Rachel Thompson. This podcast explores how to write and share your brilliant writing with the world. In each episode, we delve into specifics on how to polish and prepare your writing for publication and the journey from emerging writer to published author. In this episode, I talk to six writers in my Writerly Love writing community about writing through the senses. This conversation was a follow-up to a series of guided writing sessions we did, with each focusing on prompts related to the series. So you'll hear from these six writers, all emerging writers, and many in various stages in the process of writing their first book-length projects and various genres. In this showcase, you'll hear each writer represent a sense and how they apply it to their writing, and they will read from their work as well. So my aim here is to help make sensitivity really grounded and specific to you, dear listener. And I also offer a taste of the experience we had in our Six Senses of Writing workshop with prompts for each sense. So grab a notebook and hit pause to do some free writing around the senses when we get to each prompt, or you can save them all for later. Just note that all of the prompts that you hear in the episode will be available in the show notes for this episode of the Write, Publish, and Shine podcast. You will find them at rachelthompson.co slash podcast slash 64. Joining us today are Wendy Atwell, who will discuss the sense of sight. Crystal Barnett, who will talk about the sense of smell. Mishka Nest is here to talk about taste. And Andrea Martineau, who's going to discuss hearing. Melly Walker is going to talk about the sense of touch. And Kimberly Peterson will cover the mysterious sixth sense. Thank you all for being here for that. So I'm just going to jump right in and start with you, Wendy, with sight and talk about the visual sense, which is one that's not as overlooked maybe as some senses, but just as important to focus on in our writing. I wanted to start by just tuning into your sensory experience recently. So what are some things that you observe visually recently and how is the visual sense showing up in your writing these days? I think for me, one of the things I've noticed about tuning in, like specializing in a sense and with sight is that I've been working on a practice where I note five things every day that I observed. And if I go about the day with that intentionality of looking, I see different things. And I'm looking for things in the commonplace every day of like walking my dog, but then notice the smaller details along the way that normally I wouldn't notice because I have a running catalog of things. So that's definitely one of the things. And I'm wondering if you can track... I know you're working on a memoir, a brilliant memoir, and you've been doing a lot of writing practice. I'm just wondering if you can track how you've changed in the way that you use the senses, but maybe the visual sense specifically in your writing. One of the main ways that I've changed with using the visual sense is thinking about it in terms of the deep point of view where I'm placing the reader in seeing it versus interpreting it for the reader to see. That would mean that I remove that I saw part, <laughs> which has been really hard for me to do, just catching myself filtering. So just thinking about experientially being in deep point of view and being in the active voice, even if I'm writing a past tense scene, which a lot of the memoir is, 
just placing myself back in my shoes of that time, but trying to make it live for the reader. That is great what you described, Wendy. And I think it's really good to mention the filter words because it's a good tip for any writer who wants to go more deeply into their senses. I know that you, Wendy, read widely and lots of interesting texts. I'm always getting awesome book recommendations from you. So I'm wondering what you have noticed recently about the senses in your reading, if there's anything specifically around sight or even in all the senses. I just finished a really good book by, oh, I think her name is Mary Ndiaye. It's N and then capital D, Y-I-A-Y-E. And it's called Self-Portrait in Green. And it's sort of a magical realism story about a woman. I read that it was a subversion of the memoir. So it's almost like she's writing about the possibilities of what could have been in her life. One of the main scenes is how she sees a woman every day when she's driving her kids to school. And she's standing by a banana tree. And she's in green. Then one day she asks her children if she sees the woman and they all say they haven't seen her. So it sort of moves into the space of the imagination or like a dreamlike space. It is all about seeing. I mean, it's about seeing in a way that tells you that sometimes your senses lie to you or that you're not really seeing things that other people see. It was a great story. I will be promptly adding that to my reading list as well. Thank you. That sounds great. (laughs) And when I say great, it wasn't cheerful. (laughs) It was beautifully written, but not cheerful. It was pretty disturbing and fascinating. And it caused me to reflect about, especially like in my middle, like I'm 54, thinking about the possibilities of life, like sort of that six degrees of separation, like what could have been versus what is, and not always in a happy way. So yeah, just a heads up about that part. So I asked you to bring some reading that shows how you've been using the visual sense. Would you like to read for us now? This is for my memoir. I started writing it out of the exercises from the actual Sixth Sense um, workshop that we did. So I want to thank you for that. I feel like the prompts that you gave us were so helpful. I stood in a Palangana pasture on a dewy morning, stewing in the mistiness of an overcast sky and swatting at the tiny gnats hovering around my face. I didn't yet notice what existed between these annoying ticklish bugs, the size of a freckle, and the boundless atmosphere above leading into eternity. Yet to the side of the road, small animal trails meandered through the tall grass, cactus, and brush, their directions made for reasons unbeknownst to me. In South Texas, the ants have their own roads too, where they have worn the ground bare. The animal trails were only slightly larger. Had they been made by mice, rabbits, cows, or deer? Did the creatures share these roads? The Tejanos call these trails brechas, from Spanish to breach. Each time I saw one, I felt curious about where they led. If I was to follow one into the monte, what would I discover? But unless we were wearing our snake boots, we stayed on the roads and drove through the monte. So I missed the magic. Thank you, Wendy. I can definitely see those trails. That's very visually evocative. And I'm so glad that you found the prompts helpful too. Yeah, thank you. So here is a prompt, your first of the six prompts that I'll offer in this episode. And this one is on the sense of sight. 
And I'll note that if you're listening in podcast land out there, you might want to pause and just do some timed writing for a period while you're listening, or you might want to gather all of those prompts and the prompts will all be up in our show notes for this episode. This is episode number 65. So it's up at rachelthompson.co slash podcast slash 65. This visual art writing ekphrasis prompt is to think about a memorable work of art you've viewed, including sculptures, paintings, mixed media work, performance art, sidewalk chalk, graffiti, fashion, any other visual creations you have had the joy, the pleasure of witnessing, and then write about this work of art and really let your visual senses go wild. You could choose to do this and all of our prompts from your point of view or the point of view of a character that you've been working with. So go ahead and pause and write right now or save it for later once you've heard all of the senses described through our lovely writers who are here with us today. So the next sense is the sense of smell. I want to thank Crystal Barnett for being here to talk with us about the sense of smell today and start by just asking you, what are some scents that you've noticed recently? So it's been pretty warm here in Waterloo Region, Ontario. So there's a lot of smells like the top of the soil has sort of thawed, which reminds me of the smell of spring in this area, which is really lovely. And that also means that we have these beautiful big spruce trees in our backyard. So they're dropping needles into the mud, which has sort of a piney and foresty scent. And that's just always really heavenly. And the last thing I've noticed is with this warmer weather, we've had a lot of fog lately, like a steady diet of fog. And I've noticed that that smells like the arena I grew up in as a kid. So that's been really interesting to notice as well. Like a skating arena, you mean? A rink? Yeah. It's like, oh, I wonder how fog plays it. <laughs> what compound is created <laughs> to keep the ice frozen? That's great. Have any of these scents of spring thawing come into your writing recently too? Unfortunately, not recently, but I do find myself when I'm out walking around, just jotting down what I'm experiencing, what I'm smelling. And often, even the beginning of a poem will pop into my head. So I have these down on my phone to access later. And sometimes they germinate into yeah, a longer poem or a stanza or like something I can turn into a finished work, which is always nice. Crystal, I want to ask you, how did you use the senses in your writing before we did the Six Senses series? And how does that compare to now? When I started writing again a few years ago, I found that I've always been like a pretty embodied person. So I'm always really excited about all the sensory experiences going on. But I'd be so excited about writing about nature that my writing would just get really flowery. And I was just very enthusiastic to describe the beauty I was experiencing in front of me versus maybe digging a little bit deeper and talking more about what else, you know, that could represent. And that was something I've been working on over the past year anyway. But when the workshop came up, it came at like a perfect time. You know, Rachel had some really interesting prompts that I found helped take, you know, writing the senses in an unexpected direction, which really makes the work feel fresh. I think the thing that stuck with me the most from those prompts were prompts around emotions. And that's often what I think about. So for example, when I'm outdoors now, because again, I really like to pull imagery from nature. I try to think about how this could be a gateway to a poem, or maybe it's just a greater awareness of the world around me that I can use later. I try to think about how I can uniquely use a sense in order to enhance what I'm trying to say. 
And so, yeah, I've been able to further develop my craft with that in mind. And I think it's been a really meaningful addition to my writing. I know you brought some writing that shows how you've been using the sense of smell today, Crystal, and we would love to hear it. So please read. The church doors yawn and the cleansing summer air breathes through them. Essence drifts from its slumbering belly, familiar but without definition. It is reminiscent of framed canvas hymnals, of hourglass glue bottles from Sunday school, rubber lids kissing the page, of bodies genuflecting, of the vast, stale sanctuary that hasn't seen an open window in a week, a time-traveling pheromone that links me to childhood, to home, to beliefs held in slackened hands. Can you tell me what have you noticed about the senses, and in particular, the sense of smell when you're reading? Smell is a really powerful sense, and I've double-checked this, but research, you might know this, research has shown that smell is the sense that actually links us to memory the strongest and is also really linked to emotion. You know, if you think about how popular essential oils and diffusers are, or like that urban legend where you're trying to sell your house and you're supposed to bake cookies for the potential buyers walking through, I think smell elicits a lot of feelings in us. And I think it can really transport me personally. And again, nature smells come into play a lot for me and that just brings a lot of peace and joy. So with smell specifically, I think I've been asking myself what other memories specifically because the link to memory with smell or emotions come with the scent or, you know, what would the opposite of those memories or emotions be so you can go in a different direction. And I think it's a little bit like trying to put together a creative puzzle. And I'm not normally a puzzle person, but when I'm writing, I really love to connect, you know, the sense to the emotion or an experience and figure out how to communicate all that to a reader in a way that will resonate. You know, it gives more substance and vibrance to my writing. And using the senses in this way can really help make every word count. What do you think it means to be a sensitive writer in relation to the senses? Yeah. So as a sensitive writer, I think part of it is just being in touch with my body and how it feels and how external stimuli are making it feel, you know, not being afraid to explore those feelings and find ways to express them. So I have the personality type that always wants to dig deep with others to really get to the root of what's really going on in our lives. Feelings are obviously a big part of that. And I want to do this in my writing as well. So when I'm writing the senses, you know, for me, it's become a gateway to writing about not only the beauty of my sensory experiences or the natural world around me, but also about our humanity and our shared experiences. So when the reader can relate to our emotions or experiences of the sensory part that you're writing, hopefully what flows from that will be meaningful for them as well. So the prompt I have for smell does relate also to what you're saying about memory and That's something that we've always heard, but I'm so glad that you confirmed that, Crystal, too, because I've also thought that was true, and it's definitely been true of my experience. So this was also a prompt that we did in the series, and it is to choose one of your earliest memories. You can always do this in any prompts from your point of view or the point of view of a character you've been working with, although, as we've said, this works really well thinking about your own memories because that is such a sense that's really triggered when we think of the past. And then the prompt to write would be, what did this earliest memory smell like? And to describe that. So thinking of that earliest memory, and then just immediately going to the sense of smell and trying to embody yourself in that place and just imagine what are the things you may have smelled. So I'm going to turn us to the sense of taste now. 
And we have Mishkanest here today to talk about taste, which is perfect because Mish, as a chef and cookbook author, who's also working on a memoir, is very equipped to talk about the sense of taste. And so, Mish, my first question for you is, did working with food mean that you started out writing with attention to your sense of taste? Is that something that you immediately were putting on the page? Yes, it was. Writing about food really required that I refine how to describe taste, how to find words that would evoke the right feeling or the feeling that I wanted to evoke in the reader. I used to write restaurant reviews and edit restaurant reviews for a magazine. And it was really instructive to see what in the reviews that I was editing was really working. I often found and still do find in my own writing that sometimes just naming the food is enough because it evokes the reader's own memories of that flavor, of that taste. I kind of think of that as, in a way, the easy way out in writing about taste. But I think it's also kind of fair enough because it's so effective in the way that it asks the reader to respond with their own sensitivity, with their own body memory of a flavor. Yeah, I love that thought, Mish. It's like knowing when to describe and then when to evoke. Yeah. Just as Crystal was saying about the sense of smell and memory, I think there's a really strong relation between the sense of taste and memory. A flavor can evoke a place, an experience, a time immediately. So today, for example, I have made a lentil soup that I used to make in Greece. And when I tasted it, it just brought me back there immediately. It was so familiar. And I could suddenly smell all kinds of other smells and taste all kinds of other tastes, oregano, olive oil, tomato, that were not even in the dish, but the soup evoked all of those memories. All of the senses are powerful. I'm learning more and more about smell and taste, and I'm realizing how very powerful they are and also how kind of difficult they are for us to describe. I've been reading a book called Corked, which is about a journalist who immerses herself in the world of wine. And so she has to train herself how to taste and how to smell. And in reading that book, I learned that sense and smell have always sort of, in the Western Aristotelian lexicon or lexicon of ideas, sense and smell have been degraded. They're considered degraded senses because they're animal, they're in the body. And the higher senses are vision and hearing, especially. Sense and smell are uh, sort of the poor cousins. But in other cultures, that's not the case. And there are other cultures that have a huge vocabulary for smell and taste and are able to access that vocabulary immediately when asked in tests and studies, when asked to describe a flavor or a smell. So I'm really interested in developing both taste and sense more, as well as learning how to write about them. I love that, Mish. I don't want to miss that lentil soup opportunity to mention that because you mentioned Greece and your memoir is based in Greece too. So I'm just wondering how 
then like you're in the kitchen cooking and then are you going back to the page and going, oh, got to get these, got to get these things down that are triggering those memories of being in that place as you're writing a memoir from many years ago too. Yes, absolutely. And I'm also remembering just in the course of this conversation that we've been having, I'm also remembering that when I went to Greece, I was a blank slate. Everything was new to me. Everything that I smelled, tasted, heard, saw, it was all brand new. And I'm just realizing now as we speak how important it is to remember that when I'm writing. I maybe didn't necessarily have the words for what it was that I was smelling. I know now that one of the dominant smells in the hills was tarragon, wild tarragon, but I didn't know that then. I kind of need to go back and remember what it was like to smell tarragon We didn't cook with tarragon, so I would have to make a leap and remember what it was like to smell and taste wild marjoram, which we did cook with, and how I figured out how to place that flavor in my own personal repertoire of flavors and what it meant to me. So it's almost like going back again to that first-time experience and trying to recreate You find the words that will recreate the experience for me, but also evoke it for the reader. And you brought some writing today to show how you've been using the sense of taste. I did. It's not from my Greek work. It's from something else, but I hope that's okay. Of course. Yeah. I'm just going to read one paragraph. You have to do that in situations like this, where the chef is famous and the maitre d' a martinet. You have to surrender self and pay attention only to the food, as though the chef were a god and your submission is your offering. So, the fermented carrot, a sour, a dead, dull taste, the scallop, briny, conifery, the pig's blood, caramelized gravy, the root vegetables cooked in leaves that have overwintered under the snow, Oh, the farm in the fall when you helped grandpa pick russet apples in the ancient orchard and you were never in trouble for anything. Thank you, Michelle. That last line. That wasn't taste sensory, but but, I mean, I definitely tasted those other things in the space too. Yeah, but that last line really gets you. Thank you. Thank you. So the prompt is to prepare a meal. So it would be to write instructions for how to prepare a meal make it food you enjoy cooking with others or on your own or to have cooked for you. And you can think about who you are or your narrator is instructing how to cook and why. You can describe all the flavors of the ingredients as you prepare your instructions. And you can tune into all of your senses when it comes to the preparation of the food, the colors and textures and sounds, as well as the flavors. So that's a prompt that we wrote to as well in the Six Senses summer series and I think there are some delicious recipes that came out of that I am interrupting this showcase of wonderful writers who illustrate the six senses in writing for a moment for good reason I want to let you know that there are still spots open just a few spots in the write publish and shine intensive a five-month program for writers who want to generate revise and publish new works of writing with expert support and a community of writers at their back. At the end of your intensive, you will have polished several stories, poems, or hybrid work, submitted your work to publications that fit you, prepared for a big yes for your writing and your writing dreams, and found your place in a community of writers. If you're ready to write, publish, and shine, this intensive program is for you. 
You can learn more about the Write, Publish, and Shine Intensive and sign up at rachelthompson.co slash intensive. Now back to our Six Senses Showcase. All right, so I'm going to turn to Andrea now, who's here to talk about hearing. What are some things that you heard recently, Andrea, and did you write about any of them? I have been paying a lot of attention to my daughter and her friend's voices. They're all kind of like seven, eight years old. So some of them still have that squeaky, high-pitched kid voice, and some of them have more of a normal-sounding voice now, and they've started reading. So they've hit this weird vocabulary burst where they're still talking like a little kid, but then they throw all these little peppers of you know very grown-up language into there. So I've been kind of jotting down the funny sayings that I hear or the ones that really strike me as like, wow, that's like really observant or intriguing to come from a seven-year-old's mouth. So I haven't written anything formally from it, but I've jotted down lots of nuggets that I plan to come back to. Oh, that's such a great habit. I love that you have that habit, Andrea. So I'm curious about if you can think about how you've been using your senses in writing. And if you think about maybe just your development in the last while as a writer too, and what kind of attention you've been bringing to the senses in your writing these days. I feel like before I tended to leave out certain senses, my pieces kind of came off as you were an observer of a situation, but I frequently left out things like taste and touch weren't included very often. And so now I feel like I have a more well-rounded approach because I'm actively practicing trying to get a little bit of each of those senses in there. Yeah. And spreading it around a little. That's great. (laughs) Sharing the sensory love. Exactly. You brought some writing that shows how you've been using the sense of hearing. Would you like to share that with us now? I use the sense of hearing to help me revise and finesse this piece a little bit. It's a poem called To Listen Again, Press 4. To listen again, press 4. Enter your pin, then press pound. To reach another mailbox, press star. Pound. You have one saved voice message. To access your message center, press 1. To listen to all of your messages, press 2. 1. Hi, Doug, it's Sean, returning your call. 4. Hi, Doug, it's Sean, returning your call. 4. Hi, Doug, it's Sean, returning your call. The door should be fixed now, and Jake is in the office if anything pops up. I'm not sure I'll be around. End of message. The building operator lives. The building operator lives inside the voicemail. The building operator lives inside the voicemail I inherited. The building operator lives inside the voicemail I inherited from Doug, the old office manager. The building operator, Sean, lives inside the voicemail I inherited from Doug, the old office manager who never liked Sean. The building operator, Sean, lives inside the voicemail I inherited from Doug, the old office manager who never liked Sean because he rarely returned his calls. The dead building operator, Sean, lives inside the voicemail I inherited from Doug, the old office manager who nobody really liked, who never liked Sean because he rarely returned his calls. The dead building operator, Sean, lives inside the voicemail I inherited from Doug, the old office manager who nobody really liked, who never liked Sean because he rarely returned his calls because he was too busy. Sean, the dead building operator, lives inside the voicemail I inherited from Doug, the old office manager who never liked Sean 
because he was never returning his calls and because he was too busy dying of cancer. To delete this message, press 7. To save this message, press 9. To listen again, press 4. To forward this message, press 6. For envelope information, press 5. To exit, press pound. Pound. There are no more messages. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh, that is such a piece that is meant to be read too. And your performance of it was amazing. So thank you, Andrea. I felt like I was listening to a voicemail for a while there too. (laughs) It's good. And there's something about the repetition and also that kind of getting into that space of, I don't know, there's something so familiar about that voice. You've embodied it so well. Thank you. What do you think about it means to be a sensitive writer in relation to the senses? I think it just makes you a better writer, if that makes sense. Like, even if your reader hasn't experienced the same thing your character is experiencing or the narrator of your poem is experiencing, if you're a sensitive writer and you've incorporated those details, they can still place themselves right in those shoes rather than being just an observer kind of on the outside. They can still immerse themselves in it. So, yeah, I think it means taking care and just making your craft better. Thank you. I can definitely see that happening in your writing too. So that's great. So the hearing prompt that I offer today for you to take away to write is to spend a moment just listening to all the sounds that you hear around you. If you were doing this while you're listening to my voice, you might need to take your headphones off for a moment and then just choose one of the things that you hear and then write everything you know about that item. So it's a prompt that you can kind of carry with you anywhere. And just spend that moment kind of tuning into the senses, listening, and then just hearing, oh, what are the subtle sounds around me, things that I could write on? So next up, we have the sense of touch, and Melly Walker will be talking about that. And the sense of touch seems to me to be more typically overlooked in writing, or at least the writing I work with for emerging writers. It seems much easier to tap into some of our other senses and sort of harkens a bit back to what Andrea was just saying too about looking more, you know, well-roundedly holistically at all the senses. But I also think that this one really brings us closer to the embodiment and empathy that we really want our readers to have with narrators and protagonists. So my first question for you, Melly, what are some things you've noticed with your tactile senses recently? I've really been trying to tune into where my body meets the air you know with touch we think about our hands or our limbs or even like our faces sort of sense the rest of the world but thinking about you know my body interacting with other bodies and like the distance between us but also where my body meets the air. I don't know how else to say it. It's hard to describe and sort of sensing my organs, my viscera, fascia, the places between the bones and skin, and just sensing myself in space has really been something I'm trying to observe, but if noticing it's difficult to describe in words. And how Do you write about that sense of touch? I know you brought some reading today that we'll be hearing in a moment, but is there something that you've been putting like pen to page around that idea of the body meeting the world? I mean, I was writing about it when I was looking at this work, but what I wrote 
in terms of the lines I brought are about a memory, but that memory is also making me think about how people leave impressions on us even after they're gone. So the idea that we change each other's chemistry when we interact, when we relate, even if we really like being alone, we need each other. And so that idea of like co-regulation or that we impact and make imprints on each other in the same way, like Crystal mentioned, the pine needles dropping into the mud, like that makes an impression on the ground. And so writing about this person that's no longer alive and thinking about, you know, you can't touch someone when they're gone, but how do they leave an imprint on you and an impression on you and how we change each other. So it's like metaphorical, but it's not actually, it's actually quite physical. It's a kind of thing I've been working over in my mind. I would love to hear you go ahead and read what you've brought for us today. Smooth the wool of his funeral suit, her laughter rooting me like soil. When he tries on the suit for his mother before she dies at sunset, her hugs get longer the closer she gets to death. Soft skin between our finger bones as our hands slide apart, a goodbye aching in my vocal cords. Instead, I say, thank you. My words reaching like seedlings toward her glow, force the floor to hold me as I walk away, feel the threads of the blanket on her bed and the warm wind of her thank you as the last touches of her aliveness. Inhale, thank you for making my partner. Exhale, thank you for taking care of my son now. Her memory soothes us like the bumpy, burnt, orange undersides of ferns after the bite of stinging nettle. But still, we are stung. Thank you so much. You brought so much sense of touch in there. It's beautiful. Thank you. It was hard to not focus on what the words were in that scene, so to speak. Like the words are kind of a focus in terms of the scene, but how to show how they affect me and how they affected me, as well as all the literal physical sense of touch, but also reflecting on breath because without breath, we don't live. And so, you know, sort of breath being this thing that all of us share. I think I was reading Hannah Gadsby's memoir situation, 10 Steps to Nanette. And she was talking about how breath is the thing that we all share, whether we have different abilities, disability, ways of experiencing the world, but we all share breath. And so trying to like really also think about the feeling of breath coming in and out of my body and interacting with other breath, which after the pandemic has a whole different meaning. And yeah. I'm not sure if you're seeing the chat because I want to make sure that you see that people are commenting on the writing as well too, and that they could feel the floorboards move, as Amanda says, the tension and shift was so beautiful. It's one of those ones I want to sit with for a while too. So the touch prompt does relate actually very much to what you're writing, working with in your words today, Melly. And thank you again for that. It's to write about a character of your choice who misses something they cannot touch, that the character longs to touch, and why can they not touch it? This could be character you or another character you're working with or a character you read recently. So the idea is sort of longing for touch. 
So for our final reader and conversation around senses, we have the sixth sense. And with us today is Kimberly Peterson. Mysterious sixth sense is, I think, perfect for us to talk about, Kim, because when we did the guided writing series on six senses, I had left it open to interpretation as to what this sense meant, uh, though most people identify with intuition. But I remember that we also spoke about the vestibular system and the proprioceptive system, which aid in balance of movement. And as a nurse, you were very keenly aware of those systems and can describe them much better than I can. So I guess my first question is really an existential one. What is the sixth sense? (laughs) What does it mean to you, Kimberly? And how would you describe that? I understood the sixth sense as understanding where your body is in the world, proprioception. People take this for granted, but if you've had a stroke and you forget the left side of your body exists, it's a real challenge for people to remember. So that understanding of your body, which you learn very young and you don't pay attention to is is fascinating to me. And that goes the other sixth sense we have, our intuition about the emotional landscape surrounding us. You don't attune to it all the time. But it's there. You can feel it if you're this sensitive. Intuit. You intuit it. So that's what fascinates me. We forget where our body is in the landscape and how we know that. And we forget sometimes or we don't pay attention to the emotional landscape we see around us. That's so true. I mean, it feels like it's also touching, no pun intended, but accidental pun, but um, touching on what Melly too was saying about feeling the borders of yourself too within that world. I mean, obviously there's overlap between a lot of these senses too and how they work together. I guess I'm wondering, what have you sensed with your sixth sense recently, Kimberly, if you had to wrap words around that? So what I find is if I live in my body, all the senses we're talking about, I can find this sense of wonder about what I see, what I smell, what I touch. If I live in that moment and go down into, here's my body and where is it in the world? And how do I feel about it? What emotions come out of that? So I think that's where writers need to go to that emotion. That's what drags us to connect to our readers. They felt that emotion. Can we find that? Can we see that in what we see around us? And how do you apply that to your own writing, Kimberly? Like, What ways are you bringing that kind of embodiment and awareness and emotional sense to your own work? Or what are you noticing about your work? It's really about asking myself, what is this poem? Because I mostly write poetry. What is this poem trying to tell me? So I've spent this time in nature looking deeply and repeatedly. And what is it trying to tell me? Because there's an emotional subtext there. And it may take me many iterations or even leaving it away for a while, letting it rest before I can come back to what is this trying to tell me? Where is the emotional connection to the world? Yeah, I think that's such a good reminder too, is that these things take time to do this kind of deeper sense, fully sensory embodied, sensitive writing. And you brought some writing that shows how you've been using the sixth sense in your work. Would you like to read that for us now? I'm going to give a couple of pieces. They're they're very brief. One is more recently. 
And this is just me talking about freezing rain. So that's around me all the time. When I think of it now, I think of the beauty. But 25 years ago, we went through a crisis where freezing rain brought down the electrical systems. So my first thoughts are just the beauty and how I was struck by it. And I had to go out and touch and feel and smell it. And this is in progress. So I'm still like, and then what was it like then when it brought down our electrical system for a month? I'm just going to read a few lines from that. Crystalline morning, crisp as frozen laundry. Optical sunrise glows in the twisted digits of a maple. I flip crunch through thin glacial crust. Gray limbs reach out to cradle radiance. The goddess of ice rain paints shimmer today. As I said, it's in progress and other parts are more about that elliptic feel I had when I went out after the ice storm and drove to work in total darkness. And one that came right out of our sixth sense of writing, milk, thistle, buds. Choked throat of thistle barbed pod squeezes out purple tongues. 10,000 silken petals lick rhubarb sunset until frothing mouth bit out puny seeds compassed by melty filaments as fragile as fiddle, floated on whispers. Buried in car-splashed ditch dirt where close cloistered secrets germinate. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Kimberly. It is so evocative of all the senses as well. And, and I guess I'm wondering, what do you think it means to be a sensitive writer in relation to the senses? So the idea of sensitivity as well. So the sensitivity is being aware of all those senses and also what they evoke in you, the taste, the smell, the memory, and what they bring you back to, all of the things that they evoke and remind you of, and feeling the mood in the room, in nature. It's like feeling that mood and going into it and sinking down into it. Yeah, sinking down into it. Thank you. (laughs) I love that turn of phrase for it. It's great. All right, so I'm going to leave us with a final prompt which is a sixth sense prompt. So it really is just what has your sixth sense been telling you? And what has your sixth sense been telling you today? You could take this as intuition or write about the systems that control your balance and how you meet the world and movement in your body. And you can also try to embody a character as well too and write from their point of view in terms of how they're meeting the world or what their intuition may be telling them. One of the things, actually, I I keep mentioning that other character thing because I did find when we did the series that people were writing in all different genres, as Kimberly's writing poetry, but there were people also writing fiction who were finding this such a good way to dig into the sensory experience of their characters and then getting sort of richer character development through that too. So that is everybody, the six folks who came. I'm just so grateful to all of you, really just for the way that you're showing up for your writing and showing up for your writing community to share what you're working on in your writing. Um, So thank you. The Write, Publish, and Shine Intensive is a five-month program for writers who want to generate, revise, and publish new works of writing with expert support and a community of writers at your back. At the end of your intensive, you will have polished several stories, poems, or hybrid work, 
submitted your work to publications that fit you, prepared for a big yes for your writing and your writing dreams, and found your place in a community of writers. If you're ready to write, publish, and shine, this intensive program is for you. You can learn more about the Write, Publish, and Shine intensive and sign up at rachelthompson.co slash intensive. So you heard today from emerging writers, Wendy Atwell, who discussed the sense of sight and her project to notice more with the senses. And by the way, the book recommendation that she shared with us is also in our show notes. And Crystal Barnett was here to talk about the sense of smell and its inherent link to memory. Mishka Nest brought her unique chef perspective to the sense of taste, and Andrea Martineau read a poem that felt meant to be heard as she illustrated the sense of hearing. Well, Melly Walker, who you've heard on the podcast before as a collaborator of mine as well, brought great insight to how touch is really about where our body ends and the world begins. Well, Kimberly Peterson, as a nurse and sensitive poet, really brought home our mission as sensitive writers to be fully aware of how we move in the world. I'm so grateful to all six of them and to all of the writers who came to our Six Senses of Writing series because they really brought their most sensitive, their warmest and most generous selves into that experience and created something beautiful in their writing and in our community. I'll remind you that you can find all of the prompts that you heard in the episode up in the show notes at rachelthompson.co slash podcast slash 64. The Write, Publish, and Shine podcast is brought to you by me, Rachel Thompson. You can learn more about the work I do to help writers write, publish, and shine at rachelthompson.co. When you're there, sign up for my writerly love letters sent every other week sometimes weekly, lately it's been weekly, and filled with support for your writing practice. If this episode encouraged you to engage your senses more deeply in your writing, I would love to hear all about it. You can find me at hello at rachelthompson.co and tell other luminous writers about this episode. Please do this by sending them to the podcast at rachelthompson.co slash podcast or telling them to search for Write, Publish, and Shine wherever they get their podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. I encourage you to keep observing and reporting your observations through all of your senses. So the writers who shared their brilliant work with us today spoke to me from San Antonio, Texas on Humanos Coahuiltecan, Nde Konitsai Gokia, which is Lipan Apache, and Tonkawa land. They also spoke to me from Waterloo, Ontario, on the Haldeman Tract Treaty land and the traditional territory of the neutral Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. They spoke to me from what is known today as Whitehorse Yukon on the traditional territories of the Kwanlin Dune First Nation and the Tan Kwachan Council. And from Oskana Ka Asasteki, colonially known as Regina, Saskatchewan, on Treaty 4 territory, and Treaty 4 encompasses the lands of the Cree, Soto, Dakota, Nakota, Lakota, and the homeland of the Métis Nation. They also spoke to me on the traditional and contemporary lands of the Washanek and Lekwungen peoples, which is known today as the Saanich Peninsula, and from lands colonially known as Ottawa on unceded Algonquin territory. And I am a guest in the South Sinai, Egypt, on lands historically and presently occupied by the El Muzina Bedouin.